Welcome to Women Express. I'm Denise Harrington, your host. We've had a little bit of a break. And you know what? Great minds need a break now and then, especially those of us who are out there trying to hold it down in the professional world, as well as give you the best knowledge and understanding that I can give in a podcast. So welcome back. I'm excited today. You guys already know I get excited about everybody that I invite into the podcast. The reason for that is, is I always am looking for exciting women to share with you. Women that I know have had similar treks to mine. They're out there, have been working, bringing things in, whether it's been through volunteering or whether they've been in a corporate job or working for an organization. Bumping into these women who, some of which are my friends, some of my colleagues, and some I just meet in general conversation and recognize and realize that there's a voice that can really help inspire your voice. Because that's what Women Express is all about. It's about inspiring your voice. So today I'm excited because I have a dear friend, Catherine Crooker, who lived about a block from me when we were raising our girls must have been five years old at that time both of us starting our businesses during that time and trying to to become the big voices that we've become over time so it's it's always a joy to see you Catherine and to talk to you she had a sister who I believe was one of the the greatest voices on the planet. Her sister passed away not so long ago, Connie. So it's I have a sense that Connie is here with us and Absolutely. that she will share her wisdom through us as well. What a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to have you, Catherine. Welcome. Thank you. It's a real honor to be here. I've seen the list of other women that you've invited before me. And wow, I'm really humbled. Uh, I know some of them personally and some of them by reputation and Boy, it's remarkable to be on that list. Thanks. You're welcome. Well, we say that we're everyday Oprahs. We're women out there just experiencing our lives and trying to make changes for our own personal life as well as those around us. And we know the big thing about women is community. And a lot of, as I said earlier, a lot of these connections come from the community that I've created around myself and the women who've created their community have referred other women to me. So it's really, really great. But let me tell the audience and our listeners a little bit about you. Catherine has a consulting firm called Crooker Consulting. Now, as I said, I've known Catherine for a long time, and I know that she's done a lot in the fundraising world. She served as a fundraising leader for over three decades. She's still engaged in that process. She's inspiring staffs and boards and to achieve really bold visions, not the day-to-day way of raising money. She's raised millions of dollars to address hunger and homelessness, find cures for cancer, and to educate young minds. And she's led large teams in conducting major capital campaigns, and that all by itself speaks volumes. Today, she's helping mid-sized organizations effectively apply lessons from big shops, securing bigger giving as they move to go beyond limited budgets. We are not only blessed to have her, but she's about to move to the East Coast. Woohoo! So I'll be blessed to have her <laughs> here with me again, not down the street, not one block away, but at least on the same side of the world. So again, welcome. Thank you. Our topic today is, is something that Catherine 
had in one of her newsletters. And when I saw it, I jumped right in on it. And it's the power of shifting our beliefs. And I'm going to share with you a little story about what happened to me as I was sitting in a conference with nine other very powerhouse women in the global change and sustainability organizations, each woman coming from a different organization and corporation, looking to find ways to really address global change and to address sustainability for our planet, which we all know is quite an enormous task. And as women, we were sitting there and we were putting our organization together and two of my friends, one who used to be in sustainability and fundraising for Nike and another woman who is, she's done a lot of work in galvanizing funds and awareness around climate change. And we're all sitting there, there's nine of us, talking about where do we get the funds? And these two women were sitting there, well, we can get a million here, and we can get 50,000 there, and we can get, this person will give us 15 million. And, this, and I'm sitting there with my mouth wide open. Because one, I mean, I always have my own vision of what's important for to fund the things that I'm trying to do in life. But to watch that kind of conversation come out of their mouth with just ease, I felt was something that was important for our listeners to hear and important for our listeners to envision not only for their own personal selves, but for the organizations that they lead. So one of the things you just said in our pre-conversation, Catherine, I'd love for you to continue talking about is what are the deep traditions around women, fundraising, and money? Oh, I've been so blessed to work in this nonprofit arena for most of my career because it's industry that has been so largely driven by women for generations. Now, we have a deep tradition of philanthropy in America And before women were really welcomed, before we all had a giant shift in belief as a society about women's roles, about the only place that a good, strong woman could play a dynamic role was in that volunteer nonprofit sector. Mm -hmm. So for a long time, you know, we may all remember stories of our mothers or our grandmothers or our great-grandmothers, you know, doing lots of volunteering in the community. And they really led these organizations. You know, for a long time, a lot of organizations really didn't have much paid staff. And so they relied on that leadership of the volunteers. And I saw it in my own family in really powerful ways that led to a lot of the beliefs that I hold today and that I apply in my work today. So, for example, my grandmother, who I didn't know well, she died when I was very young. I know she was very, very active in her community. And she just had this gentle, strong way of bringing people in and inviting them to make a difference and finding their own strengths. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that we learn as women from each other is how to, in a powerful but sensitive and engaging way, invite people into the process, building off of their own strengths. So I saw that in my own family in the volunteering and giving back. My dad was a congregational minister, and I saw my mother playing that role throughout her life of almost sort of the first lady in the Mm -hmm. church Mm -hmm. and bringing her own power to that role of helping to 
coordinate committees and invite people in and getting them to give back in a way that made them feel more powerful and caring. And so, of course, we went through a time where they could do that as volunteers, but we as a culture didn't yet believe that there was a place for them to do that as sort of paid staff. And so when I was in high school, I can't believe it took this long. My mother was a really dynamic, powerful woman who always knew her voice and always knew what she wanted to do. (laughs) I found out when I was in high school that my parents had both graduated from Yale Divinity School. Oh, my goodness. My dad was the minister in the church. He got to have the paid job. She had the exact same education. And her role, because of what we all believed at the time, had to be quite different. Now, she never really chafed against that. And I think that's why I never heard until I was in high school that, oh, my gosh, you have the same education. Because she wasn't sort of carrying that around as a a negative thing. Yeah. She just was going to find a way to give back in the way that she can give back. (laughs) And continued to do that until she was 92 and had her last committee meeting at her kitchen table a week before she died. (laughs) (laughs) And I have to chuckle because I've met Catherine's mother and just to hear that of this story, I mean, I'm sure she was driving a lot from behind the scenes because she was quite a powerhouse. (laughs) So, you know, but the history of the nonprofit sector, you know, we've had this great, powerful women that have had that role. One of the things that we've had to contend with is a huge shift as we've all uh, gotten busier and busier and busier, and women have entered the work world. And so they don't have the time that they once had to devote full-time to these nonprofit organizations. And that's led to what I call the professionalization of the nonprofit sector. And so where we used to have a lot of volunteers who could spend their days while the kids were in school, basically working full-time for free for these agencies, now we have to hire staff. And so in the 30 years that I've been doing this work, I've seen more and more and more organizations that have to hire more and more and more people, which requires more and more money. And especially in the fundraising arena, we've had to professionalize and hire more people to do what volunteers used to do. So that's been kind of some of the impact as we as a culture and a society have gone through these transitions about women finding their own voices and uh, finding a place, you know, in the corporate world more and more. The discouraging part of that right now that we are all grappling with in the nonprofit world is that in spite of that, in spite of that tradition that came out from so many women spending their days volunteering, we still see boardrooms of nonprofit organizations filled with white men. (laughs) Yes. yes. And it's really ironic. I scratch my head. I'm sort of puzzled why that has continued so much when this has been such a women domain for so long. The other thing- We're perfectly capable is what you're saying. Perfectly Perfectly capable. Perfectly capable. The other thing that we see is that in that professionalized world, there are a lot more women working in nonprofits than in the for-profit sector percentage-wise. So like 73% of the employees in in the nonprofit sector across the country are women. 
It's a hugely female-dominated sector. That's amazing. It's amazing. And yet, they hold a very small percentage of the leadership roles within nonprofits. So nonprofits are not immune to this glass ceiling problem. And it's something that is is shocking. It has to be because we really, I mean, from everything you've said so far, we really walk in with the tools to really run an organization. We walk in with the right tools, the right temperament, the right way of understanding about the importance of building community, the way of understanding about hearing what other people have to say. And yet, when push comes to shove, we're still not fully represented in the higher levels of these organizations. And so I think one of the reasons is the higher you go within these organizations, the more influence there is on the part of the board to do the hiring. And guess what? Most of them are still white men. Still white men. It's amazing. So this is something that we we really need to have a voice around and to really change the belief. So how can we do that? I mean, it's true the board's are a big piece of that as well. How do we change this belief? How do we change this? Yeah, so the movement is starting. So that's the good news. And I think that one of the things that's going to change the beliefs is the money. (laughs) (laughs) The money. Oh, yeah. The money. That thing. So more and more women in the corporate world are finally starting to move up to the levels where they control and have access to the money that is given away. You know, we're lagging behind because those women weren't in those corporate roles for generations prior to that, but we're starting to catch up. And so when somebody who has the money to be the donor starts to come forward, they start to be able to influence the conversation. Mm. So that's happening on the individual side. The other place that it's happening in a really dynamic way and faster than in the kind of private fundraising sector is with foundations. So foundations, even some of the ones that are, you know, long established, they have really recognized this disparity, huge disparities, not just with women, but with people of color, people of underrepresented communities. And they are pushing in a big way on nonprofits to kind of figure this out and pay attention to it and wake up. Mm -hmm. So for example, here in Portland, we have a big foundation called the Meyer Memorial Trust. Yes. They themselves have gone through a lot of internal work around what what does diversity, equity, and inclusion really mean? And so they are now requiring that the nonprofits to whom they give grants go through that process. And if you don't go through that process, even if you're doing great work for, you know, the homeless or the hungry, which, you know, we can all agree are really important missions. If you're still operating under an old model where your board doesn't represent those voices of the people you're serving, they're not going to fund you. Yeah, they have us. Their CFO, Rukaya, is a really dear friend of mine, and she gets to move around a lot of money from our memorial trust. I mean, billions mm-hmm. of dollars. And it's mm-hmm. she's an African-American woman. And it, right. I know she's been at the top of their organization for quite some time. And, and they really are pushing hard to make sure internally they have diversity and inclusion at the table. It's amazing. Right. right. And so that's going to start shifting it. And, you know, it's going to take time. These things 
take time, but it's <laughs> it's starting. I've seen but a lot the of good news is it is the time. I'm, it is the time. It, it is, is the time. You it know, everything time. that's going on around us, I mean, our voices are coming up more and more. And I think that these kinds of conversations, you know, if I had understood all the different avenues that I could have expressed my voice at a younger age, I may have gone into something different, probably not, but I may have. And I think that as women are rising up now and as our voices are coming up and we're, these things are being, point, are being brought to the forefront, we're starting to see that there are other opportunities, other places where we can blaze trails because Absolutely. this is a trailblazing experience that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's a lot of what I've seen in kind of this transition of the nonprofit sector, you know, from before I got into it and over the last 30 years that I've been involved with it. And I'll be, you know, delighted to see as I continue working with my clients over the next 10, 20 years, it's going to be lovely to watch the composition of those boardrooms change to see a shift in who's really playing in those leadership roles, because I think we have so much to offer. And I am such a deep believer in the power of the nonprofit sector in our culture, our society, our country to create great shift. And it happens in small ways. You know, I think there's a lot of power in the mentorship between a woman who's a successful business person and the young woman in an at-risk school program. Mm -hmm. You know, I think just that one interaction makes dynamic changes that are going to ripple forth in ways we can't even imagine. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I feel so lucky, blessed every single day to play just a tiny role in helping bring those people together so that they can create that dynamic change that's going to ripple out. Because a lot of these nonprofits, I mean, we look at them, we say they're nonprofits, but there's a lot of fundraising and giving and support that also helps to leverage a lot getting done. Wouldn't you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's kind of the whole point. That's the whole point. (laughs) Yeah. And literally, most of my work is done on the corporate side, and you realize how much needs to happen to run a a corporation. But for some reason, I just never, I guess I had thought about the idea of nonprofits, but just the word nonprofit makes you think, oh, there's not any money there. But there's a lot of giving that happens in nonprofit organizations, in turn, they give back to the community to sustain the community and the growth of the community. Yeah. Well, one of the things I tell my clients all the time, and all my clients are nonprofit organizations trying to make a difference in one way or another. One of the things I tell my clients all the time is you as an organization actually have no needs. You have no needs. Hmm. Your community has needs. And your reason for being here is to be a conduit between the donors who hold certain values, who hold certain beliefs mm-hmm. about the way they want to see the world. And then you can, as an organization, can be a conduit to helping them make that difference. Because how else am I, as a lay person, going to help cure cancer? Mm. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a researcher. But guess what? I get to play a role in helping cure cancer because I can give to an organization that's working on that. Mm. I'm working with an organization right now that's international and, you know, I just, I get goosebumps when I think about the fact that they've helped connect a family in Minnesota who's now 
helping assure that a child in an orphanage in Vietnam doesn't die of starvation. There's so much power in that. And that's interesting all by itself. So what would you say we can do as women from all fronts to really leverage more of this ability to sustain community, to raise our own experience up as well? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, one of the things that we started talking about before we jumped on this call was the article that I wrote recently in my newsletter about beliefs. And an awful lot of what I do now with my clients, I've seen that the thing that holds them back a lot isn't, well, they don't know how to do direct mail or they don't know this, they don't know that. It's beliefs. It's beliefs that they hold around money. It's beliefs that they hold around whether or not there's enough money out there. Right. And so I wrote this article. I saw a bumper sticker that I absolutely love and it applies, you know, my personal life, not just my business life, but the bumper sticker is don't believe everything you think. (laughs) Don't believe everything you think. And I've had so much comment and feedback about that article from people who are not in the nonprofit sector like you. So I think we're at this place where we're beginning to recognize, especially as women, I think, that the beliefs that we have been trained with, the beliefs that were laid on us are not always serving us well. Hmm. And so I've done a lot of thinking in my own life and for my clients about how to uncover what those beliefs are to begin with, what are the ones that are getting in the way? Mm-hmm. And that is harder than it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> it is harder than it sounds to say, you know, I need to figure out which beliefs for me are causing this block in this area of my life. And I have a dear friend who's another amazing consultant who does organizational development work. And one of the thing, phrases she uses is, there are these things that are in our blind spot. Yes. In the kind of in the rearview mirror. And they're beliefs that we hold that we don't even realize are there. They're just there. And so one of the kind of tips that I would share with women is that I think we can do more as a community of women to have this conversation with each other to help each other uncover what are those beliefs because they're just so kind of baked in, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think it's easier in conversation with others to help uncover them than just trying to sit and noodle on it by ourselves and try to, you know, hammer it out. And so... I often will do that with some friends and say, you know, I'm really stuck on this thing. What do you think might be the belief that is is holding me back? And we'll just have a really good deep conversation about whatever the topic might be, money or our place in the workforce or all kinds of different things. So I think starting from that place of beginning to understand a little bit more our own beliefs and trying to uncover the ones that are inadvertently getting in our way. I love that whole thing about in the rearview mirror, because what you're seeing in the rearview mirror, it affects your judgment about how you navigate the traffic. Right. And if it's in the blind spot, and if it's in the blind spot, and you don't even know it's there, you can't do anything about it. 
can't do anything about it. Uh, that's yeah. pretty incredible. I love the whole idea of let's mm-hmm. take a look at what some of the blind spots are. I mean, I right. think some of us have a sense of it, but it certainly isn't a bad idea that when we're in conversation with other women to just put out there, what are some of the beliefs that are holding us back? What are some of the beliefs that are holding us back? And I think that, you know, for me, I've given this a lot of thought because as I think about my journey in the nonprofit world, I held a lot of beliefs about money. And I think for women particularly, whether you're in fundraising or not, there are a lot of beliefs about money that are really holding us back. Yes. You know, and growing up inside essentially a nonprofit as a minister's daughter, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, sort of this edge of, well, you know, money's maybe not okay and money's, you know, that's not what you should be striving for. So I've had to do a lot of work in my own life around my own beliefs around money. And then I do a lot of work with my clients to help them uncover as an organization, what are their beliefs? Right. Trying to get to a place where we understand that it is not about the money. Hmm. Even a fundraising conversation where you're going to that foundation to ask them for a million dollars to help create some change, it is so not about the million dollars. It is about connecting them to the power of something that's going to change our world. I love that. And we just happen to have that tool. We have to have that tool of the money to make that happen. I love that. I love that idea. You know, I always kind of recoil. It's not about the money. It's the one thing that we kind of have to get our head around is that you can earn money. But I love the idea that money is a tool for helping us leverage the things that we're trying to get done. Right. And, and that's true. I certainly, it's, it maybe this is a more expanded version of how to look at money. It's an essential piece, yet mm-hmm. it is a tool. Yep. It's a tool. And when I help my nonprofit clients shift in the way that they think about money, it gets easier to ask for money. People are terrified of asking for money. That's the first thing I hear when I start working with a client. Oh my gosh, I could never go ask for money. And so much of that is because of our beliefs about money. Hmm. And, you know, that, oh, there isn't going to be enough. And I've got to, you know, try to talk them into the gift. And so we totally change the conversation to you were inviting them to help make a change and make a difference in an area that is important to them. And I can't tell you the number of times in my career when I've done that and I've had the donor thank me. <laughs> the donor has thanked me for showing them a way to make a difference. And when we shift the conversation away from the money and into what we're all going to create together, it completely changes the dynamic. Wow, that's interesting. I think that we as women hold a lot of beliefs about, you know, do we deserve to have the money? Do we get to earn the money? Do we have to ask somebody's permission to spend the money? That one's huge. And, wow. you know, and I see that in the nonprofit sector because I might ask a woman to give a gift and she's not sure and she's got to go check with the husband. Although, ironically, women make 90% of the giving decisions in couples in America. Isn't that amazing? I've Isn't got that to ask my husband. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's just some of, some of the beliefs that we hold around money is, is it okay to have it? And boy, when you can shift beyond that belief, either as a person, as an individual 
or as an organization that's relying on this generosity of others, when an organization shifts its belief that it's okay to have the money, guess what? The money starts flowing. Mm. Mm. I really want to sit with that. I'm going to ask everybody to sit with that for a minute because the moment we ask, I'll give ourselves permission to have the money, it shows up. It shows up. It shows up. That is, I want everyone to sit with that because it is about the asking, you know, and I love this whole piece that you said, well, you know, first let me go ask my husband. That is just shifting the responsibility is shifting the ability to ask for what you need Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or to give what you feel others deserve to have. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not saying that every time, I mean, certainly people in a partnership, whatever that partnership looks like, they should make decisions together. They need to have those conversations together. But I have seen it happen more often that if there's a couple and I go and I ask the man for the gift, he'll make a decision without saying, oh, I have to check with my wife first. More often than if I am talking to the woman alone and she'll say, I have to go check with my husband. Not always, you know, sometimes they'll both will say, you know, but <laughs> it is more common that the woman doesn't feel the power to make that decision. Wow, that's pretty amazing. I love that. I just love this idea. I love this whole concept. And as I started the interview with you, just having that experience of sitting in a group of women where we're batting around millions of dollars just says how we have the ability to really not only change our own lives, but change the lives of others just by asking. Just by asking. Being brave enough to ask Mm -hmm. is transformational. Mm. being brave enough to ask for what we need. I see it over and over and over again with my clients that that fear, when we can get that fear out of the way. In fact, I was with a client this week and the leader of the organization had to ask for the very first gift for a very big campaign. And this person had never asked for gift at that level. And to see that person be brave enough to break through their own fear and make the ask anyway, and to see that it was this powerful moment where they were opening a door to let somebody else in to help. Mm. And our own fear of not being able to ask closes that door and doesn't allow for that flow and doesn't allow for those other people to come in and participate. Wow. Wow. Being brave enough to ask. Can you tell me what was said on that bumper sticker one more time? Don't believe everything you think. (laughs) Yeah, let's just just chew on that for a few minutes. Oh, this has just been great, Catherine. I'm so thrilled that we had the opportunity to speak. I think this last couple of minutes spoke volumes in how... To be brave, to ask for what you need, to know that money is a tool. And the bigger the ask, the bigger the need, whether that's for yourself. I mean, I would encourage women who are in looking for corporate expansion and they want to be have bigger roles in the volunteer environment, ask bigger for yourself. Absolutely. Ask bigger for yourself. I was working with a VP the other day, and it's amazing that she's afraid to ask bigger for herself. She's already on Mm -hmm. VP level. 
you know, the next step for her is senior VP or a C-suite. And the money goes along with it. And think of it as a tool to really help not only feed your family and your personal community, but it serves as an example that feeds an inspiration other women who are looking at you as an example of how to ask. Absolutely. And I think that the other thing, you know, in the, sort of in the personal realm, when we think about it, it's not about the money. For me in my own business and growing my business, I had to come to a place of realizing that even in my interaction with my clients, it's not about the money. It's that I have to recognize I have a lot of gifts to give back. Mm-hmm. And if I limit myself, I'm limiting my ability to give those gifts back. And so I can picture that woman that you were talk, just talking about she probably has an awful lot to offer the world. Oh my goodness. And if she yeah. doesn't break through her own fear, that gift isn't going to come out to the world. Mm-hmm. So it isn't about her getting the money. It's about her reaching that place where she can give all those gifts. And shift her beliefs about herself and her ability to give. Yay, wow. We did it. We did it. Well, welcome to the East Coast in a couple of days, probably more like 10 or 12 days. Welcome to the East Coast. She's going to Vermont to sandwich. Yeah, center sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) Little teeny tiny town that has beautiful mountains that the Crooker girls, we call them, have climbed and spent summers and enjoyed themselves. And I'm happy that you're going back to your, your roots and that you. you're continuing to bring to the world extraordinary gifts. I've always felt that you're an extraordinary woman, and I'm just so oh, thank you. thrilled that you're doing all this great work. And Connie, thank you for showing up in spirit. I appreciate that. Yes, yes. All right. Thank you, Denise. You're doing such remarkable work in the world. You've been such a, a major force in my life for decades in so many ways. And it's a real honor. Oh, thank you. Well, that's it for today. We have spoken with <laughs> Women Express. I want to encourage you all to look up Crooker Consulting if you need people You need a consultant to help your organization expand its awareness around fundraising and building a strong, solid community that expresses out. I think definitely Catherine is the person who you want to bring into your life. And for Women Express, keep looking for us. We're trying to build more seminars where you can come and take a a day with us. We're going to do the first kickoff day in Portland, Oregon, because there's so so many people who have asked us to come out to do a one-day retreat. So look forward to that. Our website is www.womenexpresspodcast.com. You can also reach us at www.dmhconsultinggroup.com because in my spare time, ha ha ha, I also teach communication skills in, in the corporate environment. So it's always wonderful to have more women reach out to me and to do their best to expand their voices and take one day at a time. We're talkers. So women, get out there and let's express. Thanks so much, Catherine. And everybody out there, we'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. We have a whole new format coming out that I think you'll enjoy. But bye for now. We had a great time today. What I'd like to ask you to do is to rate us. Give us good ones review, and subscribe. And if you love the time you spent with us and loved our speakers, our interviewees, 
then share this with your friends. Let's collectively women express. Thank you for being with me. Bye for now.